you uh, have your Bible here today, uh, turn uh, to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, it comes right after the book of Proverbs. So it goes Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And turn to Ecclesiastes 7, chapter 7, verse 2. So this is, uh, while you're, you're looking for it, it's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. But while you're looking for it, this is one of the two texts that we're going to consider today. And I will read from John 11 uh, about midway through my, my, my speech. And so I'm not going to read it uh, right up front. But don't worry, I will, I will get to that, that text as well. But Ecclesiastes 7, 2, verse 2 through 3. Uh, this is God's holy and inspired word, and it is living and active uh, today. And it's, it's convicting, and it's, it's comforting, and it's applicable to our lives today. It's not a dead word, but it's a, a living word. And so with that, let us read Ecclesiastes 7, verses 2 through 3. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. And specifically, verse 2 is our, our text today. I'll read it again. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Let us, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And we pray that it would be a blessing to us, that there would be conviction where needed, and that, most of all, there would be a hope and a comfort that as we think on death, as we think on sorrow, that we would be brought to the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ, Lord. Do this work, and I pray in the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Chapter 7, verses 2 through 3. That's our, that's our text today. Yeah, so I'm going to try to explain that uh, now. So the title of my, my message today is The House of Mourning, or The House of Sorrow, The House of the Funeral, Leads to Resurrection uh, Life. And you can see it up there, and then we'll consider three things. The, the house of mourning is superior, uh, being led to resurrection in life. And then third, do you believe this? Do you believe this? In American culture, what we have just read, uh, the, state, the statement that we have read from Ecclesiastes comes to us and it goes against everything 
that we know and believe. For the American dream is the pursuit of happiness, correct? The American dream is to make for ourselves a better life. The American dream is to go to the house of feasting and to go to the house of laughter. The American dream is to, to, to celebrate, to, to party. We don't want to think on, on sad, sad things. But these things, while they're not evil or bad in and of themselves in the least bit, are taught to us today from God's word as being of secondary importance to our lives. Feasting and laughter as taught us by God today ought not to be sought after first and foremost. If you're familiar with your Bible, then you know that Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes and that it is believed that Solomon, the great man of wisdom, also wrote the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon says that wisdom is a shield, Proverbs 1, verse 7, and that those who seek after wisdom shall be preserved, Proverbs 1, verse 11. This is exactly the point of our text before us today. It is to seek and find wisdom that our lives might be preserved. Solomon was a great uh, man of great wisdom, yes. But Solomon was also a man of great riches and wealth. Solomon had all things. He had a kingdom, vast wealth, materials. Uh, he's famous for having thousands of wives, uh, much food, exotic animals, and an abundance of resources. Solomon, you might say, had everything and then some. Solomon had all the things that the heart could possibly desire, and so he writes these words to us today, inspired by God, that we might not follow his path, but that we might learn from it and seek after wisdom instead. Wisdom whose beginning is the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord, which is on the, the one hand a holy fear of God, because He's the one who can destroy both body and soul. And on the other hand, the fear of the Lord, uh, which is this holy fear uh, to Jesus Christ as we face our own sinful mortality in the face of a just and holy God. This too is the point of our text. For the text says that it is better to go to the house of mourning why, you ask, is it better to go to the house of mourning, the house of sorrow, the house of tears, the house of death, than to go to the house of feasting? Does this not go against everything we stand for in American society? Does this not go against our own bodily nature that holds on to life and fights for, for it every step of the way, even in the most agonizing of circumstances? Yes, according to modern wisdom and human wisdom in general, it does go against every fiber of our being. I mean, this we see as there's always a push for modern medicine to, to advance, that we might reach a point where we could live forever and maybe even conquer death. You can, you can just look it up. Uh, it's the transhumanism movement. The transhumanism movement. This is the goal of some, but it is not the goal of the wise. For the wise know that this, is, this striving is in vain is in, and is impossible. 
Oh, but you might still say with me, why would I go to the house of mourning, the house of death, that place I hate to go to, that place that confronts me with the pains of life, that place that confronts me with the sorrows of life, that place that only brings tears, suffering, agony, depression, morbidity, as all that we have and ever loved is taken away from us. This is a very real response. It's a response from one who has gone to the house of mourning. A response that knows what it is like to lose those whom we love, even our own lives, our own life. But I plead with you to hear God's word for the living, the wise, and the believer. They will lay it to heart. They will ponder it in their heart like Mary did. I plead with you to understand what God is saying to us here in this text that you might find wisdom. God is telling you and I that these reasons that were mentioned above as to why we should not go to the house of a mourning or to a a funeral are precisely the reasons why we ought to go to it. Why we need to. You see, there is a, a sure and a fixed and certain hope that lay before us when we go to the house of mourning. When we go to that funeral. But that certain and fixed hope can only be found rested upon and known personally within our hearts and in our minds when we see with our spiritual eyes that those bitter feelings and bitter realities of death are not an end in and of themselves. This sure and certain hope can only be known when we come to realize that God is trying to teach us and guide us through the use of bitter feelings and the realities of death to point us to the one who conquered uh, death uh, for us. That we might be invited to that same victory, that resurrection life, the victory of which will put an end or put a period to our cares and toils and sorrows and remove us to rest, joy, and eternal satisfaction. His name is Jesus Christ, And he has defeated sin through his death on the cross and subsequently defeated death through his resurrection from the dead. It is he who invites those who go to the house of mourning, the house of death, to think on the frailty of our humanity or to remember that our days are numbered, that the time of our death is unknown to us and that death entered into our reality because of sin. It is only those who think on these things and carry them on the weight of their shoulders that will come to Jesus Christ. It is only them who will rest on him, in him alone, in the face of sin, death, and suffering. Do you lay these things to heart? Do you? You see, those who spend all their time in the house of feasting, in the house of laughter, they only focus on the horizontal and the things here below. The earth is their home. What this earth has to offer is their reward, as Jesus says. This this earth and the short time they have here are what they deem is all that they have. Then when death hits them or they lose a loved one, they're shaken. They are shaken to the core because they're no longer in that house of feasting, that house of laughter. 
but they are in the house of mourning, tears, and sorrow. The person who does this is not prepared for the ultimate questions of life and is in the end found to have no true joy, no true happiness when they face death. Their life is a life that is lived for the here and now in the fleeting happiness that they deem to be true joy. They fail to see that true joy is not found in the house of feasting, but that true joy is found in the house of mourning and in the house of tears. You see, it is when we go to the house of death and sorrow that we then, if, we, uh, if we're wise, it is only then that we lay it to heart and we, we cling to Christ as we face a just and a holy God. Although human wisdom does not know eternal and spiritual prudence, it does understand that prudence is important. The wisdom of humanity knows that it is smart and better for all, all of us if we think and plan beyond the immediate, the right now and the present. If we live for the future rather than the immediate, it knows that if we live by instant gratification or if we make decisions in the moment rather than in regard to the future, we are living as fools and setting ourselves up for failure. But our text calls us to think beyond this. It's, it primarily calls us to think beyond our present circumstances. It presses our earthly mind with eternity. That this earth is not our home. That all will die. The, the death rate is 100% the last time I checked. That our souls and bodies will be made new upon the resurrection and that we will live a life beyond what we see and know now. And we'll spend eternity after the judgment takes place, either in, in true joy, in the everlasting presence of Christ, or in eternal separation from God in hell. We must take it to mind and lay upon our heart the fact that it is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. And it's, it's not simply to, to just go to a funeral and then, you know, leave. But when you're there, when you're facing death, that you lay it to heart. There's nothing more shallow than somebody who, who goes to a funeral and then after they go to the funeral, their mind is completely removed from it. And they just go back to feasting and joy and laughter and they never are pressed with, the fa with eternity, with their own death, with what they're going to say when they meet God at the end of their days. But in order to truly understand the superiority of the house of tears and sorrow, we must come to the true and lasting joy in Christ Jesus. And so read with me from John 11, 24 uh, through 27. John 11, 24 through seven, 27. John 11, 24 uh, through 27, which says, Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yes, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Lazarus, Martha's brother, was sick. This Martha and her sisters, they announced to Jesus in verse 3 of chapter 11. This occasion of death was hard. Something that, was ju- that, that is just as hard for you and for me when our loved ones die. We know it was difficult and hard from the fact that Jesus wept about Lazarus' death in verse 35. This was a sad occasion for the sisters and for Jesus and for all those who knew Lazarus. Yet there is something curious here in our text. In verse 15, after Jesus announces Lazarus' death, he states, I am glad for your sakes that I was not here. What is, uh, yeah, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not here to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. What is Jesus saying here? Well, he he is certainly not making an unsympathetic statement uh, to them. He certainly is not saying something insensitive as we often do in in times of, of hardships. No, he's telling them that he is glad for them because he's going to display his power unto them that their faith might be strengthened in him. What a rich display of God's love and mercy for his people in their time of deepest pain and agony. That he would allow for us, his people, to be overwhelmed with this pain, sorrow, and agony of death that we might know with certainty that even then he is strengthening our faith in in himself for salvation. This is nothing short of his love and mercy. Think on this. That the Lord brings hardship, even to the point of death, that we might be taught by him, that we might believe in him as the resurrection in life. That we might believe more firmly in him unto life everlasting. Here in our text, we see that Martha, she, she did believe in him. She, she believed in the future resurrection to come. She had hope for the future resurrection in Christ, but in the moment, she was discouraged. But what Jesus wants for Martha to have is not simply hope for the resurrection to come. That is the resurrection on the final day before judgment. But he desires that she know the power of resurrection even now as she lives and breathes and walks on this earth. This is understood in verse 25 of our text when it says, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You see, Jesus is saying that those who believe in him, though they may die a physical death, yet shall they live. He's not talking first and foremost about the future, but he is describing the resurrection life that can be had now, here, right now. Jesus' first clause in the text before us is, I am the resurrection and the life. He puts these two things together on, on purpose. It's common logic, right, that the resurrection come before life. One cannot have life who is dead prior to resurrection. 
the significance of this for us today, right here and right now, is that all of humanity, even us sitting here today, are plunged into death. We're plunged into death. We, from the second we are born, are dying creatures. Every single one of us is going to face death. The immediate consequences of this, as we know, is that we, all of us, are under the condemnation of God and his righteous wrath apart from Christ. And so no one will enter into life until he is risen from the dead. Risen from the dead in a spiritual sense. Through Christ, the sinner is restored from death unto life in Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the sinner is reborn. They are risen from spiritual deadness to to newness uh, in Christ. The Holy Spirit accomplishes this work of going from deadness and sin to being alive in Christ. This is a, a spiritual resurrection from the dead, whereby we go from dead in our sin to alive in Jesus Christ. This is a, a foretaste that we get now, a foretaste of glory, of life everlasting. The second clause in our text is, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall live. The Holy Spirit takes up the task of accomplishing this work in the lives of all who believe. The picture that we have here that is given is dead people walking. Dead people walking. And so to tickle our modern ears, think of zombies. Think of the walking dead. That is what all people are apart from Christ. We are the walking dead. We give off the idea that we are very much alive, don't we? Especially the youth, which I fall into that category, who so often naively live as though they are invincible. But we know that when sickness comes to them, that they too will be confronted in a very real way of their human frailty, of death. I don't know if you've ever had the stomach flu, but that's like the closest to death I've ever felt in my life. And it shakes you to the core. It really does. And so we are all included in this. We are all, even the little children, included in the reality that we are the the walking dead. We who are alienated, separated from God because of Adam's sin and our own personal sin. But the Holy Spirit comes to us in the name of Jesus Christ and he reconciles us to God by planting the seed of faith in our heart and mind. Faith, the instrument that connects us to Christ. Faith, the instrument that unites us to Christ. Faith, which is trust, which is uh, knowledge, certainty that Christ is mine, that he's my personal Savior. The Holy Spirit, you see, works this in our lives. And, and he does so through the power of the word, through the, through the power of the preaching. And at that point of reconciliation, he works within us a newness of life. He restores that which we had lost in Adam and he brings us back to communion with God, thus restoring our broken relationship with God. Do you see the importance of this? Do you see the need for all of humanity to come to grips with this? Though certainly all of humanity will not. All of creation knows the effects of sin. 
All of creation is fading and passing away. There's, there's nothing that is unaffected by the curse of sin. And it extends further than just to humanity. But of primary importance for us today in our text, it is the state of our own souls before God. Do you know that your soul, apart from Christ, is separated from God? Do you know that apart from Christ, you will, you will perish in eternity? You will be given a new body upon the final resurrection, oh yes. But do you know that that body is fit for everlasting destruction and damnation and separation from God? The person who understands this will lay it upon their heart. They will be shaken awake. They will be sobered up unto reality. And then they will organically heed to the word of God to, to repent, to believe. The believer must heed to Christ's incomparable words of comfort, joy, and love. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. All those who are called by God through the power of the Holy Spirit will come to Jesus for this spiritual resurrection in life. They will not and they cannot stay in the deadness of their sin. It is effectual unto the end. For John in an in, in earlier chapter testifies to this irresistible grace of God when he says, the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they who hear shall live. John 5 verse 25. To believe in Christ is to be united to Christ. To be united to Christ is to have life. New life now, right now, and in the life to come in eternity. In verse 26 uh, of our text before us, we have an uh, exposition of the second clause in verse 25, which we have just covered. The exposition of verse 25 and verse 26 is this, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die shall never die this text clearly shows that christ is the life right he is the life in and of himself but the writer moves beyond this fact that christ is the life to the fact that whoever lives in christ will never die will never die now we know this is not talking about a a physical death as though if you believe in christ you won't die a physical death no it's telling us that whoever lives in christ shall never perish eternally suffering eternal separation from god and punishment in hell the text moves further than saying christ is life for us in the here and now and clearly states that christ is eternal life for all who will believe the significance of this truth for us today right here and right now is that the work that Christ has started in your life, he will see to completion. It will not fail. The work, of, the work or the life that Christ, through the operation of the Holy Spirit, starts in your life now, he will never leave in a state of incompletion, but he will preserve that life, your life, unto and through all eternity. That's some pretty good news. Therefore, death, that which was brought into the world through our sin in Adam, does not and never has the final say. Christ does. 
And this he states so clearly in our text. For he not only says that we have life now, but that we also have life eternal. Christ does not give us life and then just leave us to ourselves. No, for if he did that, then we would certainly perish through the following of our own, our own human wisdom. Rather than give us life and then leave us to himself, he gives us life and he ever so leads us into continual life and into eternal, in, and into eternal life. This is the glorious power of Christ's work of spiritual resurrection in our hearts and our, in our lives. And of course, that literal physical resurrection that we look forward to uh, prior to, to the last judgment. By believing in Christ, by trusting in him, your soul will live on through all eternity in the presence of Christ on account of Christ's righteousness. Romans 8, verse 10. And then one day, you will, you will be given a new body, a new body that is perfect, that is like Christ's. And you will, you will uh, live in the new heavens and new earth, whatever that will look like. It isn't going to be floating souls, but there will be a, a physical earth and a physical uh, heaven, and we'll, we will have bodies. Do you see then why it is better to go to the house of mourning, to go to the, a funeral, than to go to the house of feasting and laughter, which is common among the people of our nation? ourselves and our our own circles do you see that by going to the house of mourning you're confronted over and over with reality rather than the the pushed lie of the hedonistic culture we live in that says eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die do you now see that going to the house of mourning sobers us up it shakes us up and it enlightens us with reality rather than the fleeting lies of the world. I hope you do. It is my desire that all of us live in Christ and see the house of mourning as a place we ought to dwell, that we might see death in a new light, that we might see death as, as one theologian puts it, an emancipation from the bondage of death, that we might face death with joy and gladness in our hearts even in the midst of sorrow and agony because death itself granted we are in Christ Jesus is the gateway unto life eternal and that's why Paul can say for me to to live is go ahead and to die is gain yes amen brother life eternal that is the freedom from the bondage of sin and death and the entrance into perfect peace, love, joy, sinless perfection that will be forever and ever. Martha in our text before us wanted so badly with every fiber in her being that Lazarus, her brother, be raised from the dead and brought back to her. But what Christ has in mind is something better, something that lasts, something beyond this life. Christ is teaching us here that he gives eternal life, eternal life which is far better than life here below. What Christ is trying to teach us here and in all of his ministry is that for those who believe in him, this earth is not their home, but that their home is with God in heaven. He teaches us that it is through him and through him alone, not works, not penance, not 
living an ascetic life. No, through Christ alone that we are granted this better life uh, in, in heaven. This he does, as we mentioned, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is equally God with himself and whose specific office is different than, than Christ's. Yet Christ has all power and authority to bring about this new life in the hearts and minds of sinners. And he does this through the power of his word. And so if you are hearing that word today for the first time, or again, believe, believe with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And know that, again, it's unbreakable. And that that work he begins in you, he'll see through to the end. And as we well know from this story, this the power of Christ and his authority were clearly shown in that he raised Lazarus from the dead in real time and in real history. And, in, and specifically in his own resurrection and ascension into heaven. And so, by way of conclusion, bear with me. The question that is asked for all of us today is the question found in 26. Believest thou this? Do you believe this? Will our answer be nothing short than the answer of Martha? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. For Christ comes into the, came into the world for that specific purpose, to call sinners to himself. And he calls sinners of all stripes. And by what I, what I mean by that is all, all different pasts, all different skeletons in our closet. He calls all sinners of, of uh, every uh, stripe. And so will you believe? Will you then believe in Christ by faith, a trust that he's your personal savior? And then will you reap all the benefits that we just, we just captured in this text? For in Christ is all and every blessing that can be known to humanity. And so if you're a Christian here today, continue believing. Hear the word, be comforted, stand on that solid rock, which is Christ, for the rest of your days. That he's the giver of new life now and the giver of life eternal. And believe that you will never perish. And that's hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard. We, we struggle with doubts. But rest on God's word, his, the objective truth of his word. And say, Lord, Lord, help my unbelief, help my unbelief. And rest in Christ each and every day. But for the unbeliever in our presence, fret about and fear these realities. Think on them. Meditate on them. Examine yourself. And if it be so, heed the true and inner call of God that is worked by the Holy Spirit. See how all of history and future revolve around Jesus Christ the great and prophesied Messiah of old. Do not wait, but believe in him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body. Believe in him who is the great giver of spiritual resurrection, life, and preservation unto the end, and escape that horrible and treacherous everlasting death. And we can be sure and we must be certain that Christ Jesus will bring about the restoration of all things as we see and know it. The truths that are stated here go beyond humanity and as we know, they extend to all of creation. 
The restoration includes the perfection of all things as the earth is refined by fire and the new heavens and earth are ushered in. The restoration includes a reversal of sin and death as we know it and the full realization of perfect peace, perfect joy, the inability of sin and death to ever enter in again. So we're going to go back in, in some ways to the garden where we have perfect communion and we live a life of perfection except for that there will never be an opportunity for sin to come in again. Never again. And so dwell in the house of mourning, my friends. And you don't have to do it all the time. The, this, the Ecclesiastes says elsewhere that there's a, there's a time for mourning. There's, there's a time for everything. In chapter 3, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. But don't be someone who never dwells in the house of mourning, but dwell in it. And heed to the, the wisdom of God's word in Scripture. Think on death. Think on your frailty. Think on the fact that you will go to dust, uh, the dust from which you were created from. Then think on the good news of Jesus Christ the resurrection, the life, the preservation of all saints, and then life assured, and live assured that Christ and these benefits are yours. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is life, Lord, which is life, that gives us hope and comfort and satisfaction and peace and certainty in the face of hardships and in the face of our ultimate enemy which is death lord and but it tells us do not fret do not fear but believe in christ and know that you will live beyond the grave and that one day after the second coming of christ all will be uh all will rise up from the dead and the believers will be given a new body and a new home and in that new home we will be with you in Jesus Christ, who we will be able to touch, to hug, to kiss. Lord, we cannot wait for that day. So give us that satisfaction and help us to see that you flip the script. You, you take that table and you flip it on the other side. And you make possible what is impossible, Lord. And give this hope to the world, to those who are lost in their sin, Lord. For we all once were there. And the only thing that is different from us in the world is your grace, Lord. Nothing in our hands we bring, but to you we cling. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, I ask that uh, Sal and uh, Frank, if you guys would go and collect the offering. And Sal, would you mind, would you like to pray? Uh, pray loud and clear. <laughs>